We're almost done with 2 Samuel. We've got two more chapters. We'll cover 23 tonight. We'll cover chapter 24. Uh, I think we're going to do 24 in, a whole, in, a, in one week. I'm not sure yet. I may split that up. But no more than three weeks left in 2 Samuel. And uh, we've been traveling through the life of David. We've seen some incredible things that God's done. Uh, it's been one, one really cool event in David's life. And as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 23, it kind of breaks into two sections. The first seven verses are David's final psalm, or it's his, his, it's, his, it's his words of the end of his life. And then the remaining verses in the chapter have to do with David's mighty men. It's kind of looking back over what God had done uh, through the men, through the lives of the men that were, that were with David. And we'll take a look at that uh, a little bit later on this evening. But first, let's look at the first seven verses together. Uh, as I said, these are David's final words. It's, uh, it's, it, these are the final words in his life, and let's listen to what they say. Chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed one of, God of, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is, my, this is all my salvation and all my desire, which, or will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because, not, because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they will be utterly burned with fire in their place. Wow. Final words. You say, well, Rob, David's a little poetic. David's a little poetic. And as he's going through these final words, I, want, I don't want you to be confused. These aren't the final words that he says. He's not like on his deathbed speaking these final words. What he's actually doing, it's kind of, he's talking about the Lord and what the Lord has done in his life and how he felt about the Lord uh, coming down at the end of the life. It's, it's rather where he's at with the Lord, if you will. And in verse 1, he identifies himself immediately in four different ways. He identifies himself as the son of Jesse. He says, the man raised up on high, the anointed one of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. So the first way that he identifies himself, he's telling you it's about himself. He identifies himself as the son of Jesse. What does that tell us? What does that remember? When he, when he identifies himself as the son of Jesse, he's literally saying that I am the son uh, of, a, of a farmer. I'm the son of a peasant farmer. I'm, he, he's, he's humbly saying, I'm the son of a farmer. I'm not somebody who was born into royalty. I'm not somebody who was, you know, born some special person. I was just born as an ordinary person. And it's kind of him being humility. It's, 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 it's him being humble, saying he's recognizing really where he came from. I'm the son of Jesse. I'm the son of a farmer. That's who I am. And he also takes time to say that he's realizing that it... He, his background is what made him who he is today. It's what molded him in the fact that he was a son of the farmer. He did grow up as a, she as a shepherd. He, you know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't born anything special. And I kind of like that about him. I kind of like the fact that he can look back and not be in, ashamed of his background. He's not ashamed of where he came from. He's not ashamed of his family. He's not ashamed of his heritage. He just simply says, that's who I am. I'm the son of Jesse. 
And as that background of David helped shape him and throughout his life, because it was as a shepherd boy that he learned to use a slingshot, what would benefit him later in life when he fought Goliath. It was as a shepherd boy he learned to do battle with wild animals that would help shape him into the, the warrior and the soldier that he would become. So his background, although it would seem minuscule, meaningless, unimportant to, to the highfalutin society of that day, it was what made him who he is. Oh, we need to remember that. Because it's our background that may be the very thing that's shaping us to be who we are. Don't forget that God's allowing you to go through things, and he'll use those things if you'll turn them over to him. You know, you might look at your background and go, well, I'm kind of embarrassed, Rob, about what's in my past. I'm kind of embarrassed about the things that I did. You know, you didn't know me before I, knew, before I walked with the Lord, and I've done some pretty bad things. You know, God will redeem those if you'll let him. He'll actually use those things in ministry to bring glory to his name if you will let them. But you have to leave them in the past. You don't, you don't keep doing them, but you have to leave them, and he will use those things. And David, is, he says, I'm just the son of Jesse. I'm the son of a farmer. That's how I started out. That was where I began, as the son of a farmer watching sheep. And then he says about himself, he says, I'm the man raised up on high. I'm the man raised up on high. How did you go from the son of a farmer to the man raised up on high? David allowed God to raise him up. David was very persistent. All the years that Saul was chasing him, twice he had a chance to take Saul's life. And what did he say? I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. God, if you want me to be king, you've already anointed me king. Samuel's told me I'm going to be king, but I will not put myself in that position. Therefore, he can then at the end of his life say, the man raised up on high because he realized God was the one who raised him up. Will you be a person that will allow God to raise you up in life? You see, oftentimes in our lives and today's world, it's who can we step on to get to the top? We, who am I? I want to make myself something. We have this thing called Facebook, don't we? And what do we do in Facebook? We raise ourselves up, don't we? How many of you post what's going on in real life on Facebook? None of us do. You would never post what's really going on in your life. You only post the good things, the things that people like, the things that will make you look better in somebody's eyes. Very few people, and sometimes when people do post what's really going on, what do we go? Stop, I don't want to read that nonsense. Don't even put it on there. You see, David was a man who realized it was God that had to raise him up. He wasn't going to do it himself. Oh, that's a lesson for us that we need to learn. Are you confident the Lord has established you in your life tonight? Can you say that where you stand right now is the place that God has raised you up to? Or have you got there on your own? Have you got there by your own ability, your own strength? You see, David, being the king over all of Israel, could say, the Lord, the Lord did this in my life. The Lord did this. The Lord brought me to this place in my life. Yeah, I think, I think it would do us well to just ask that question. Lord, have you brought me here? Have you given me this job? Have you given me this home? Have you given me this place to live? Have you, have you, do you think the Lord really cares about all those little things in your life, about where you work, about where you live? The Lord started this church because I lived in a certain location and met certain people. Marilyn Toya and Kevin, we all met when, we, when the church very began. I met Marilyn Toya because I met them through my neighbor at the time. God, where do you want me to live when I moved to Cumberland to start a church? You called me from Florida to be here to start a church. Where do I live? You think, well, it doesn't really matter. Just pick a house. No, it does matter. Merrill's back there running sound, Toya's in the back. They're the second and third people to come to the church ever. And they're still here, but the Lord brought us together. We met, we would have never met had I not lived in the house that I lived in. So those kinds of things in our life, I think that sometimes we don't pay attention enough to say, God, where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to work? 
Where do you want me to volunteer, Lord? Where, how can I serve you? You see, I believe that David in his life, when he says the man raised up on high, he understood that God was the one doing the work. And I think sometimes we neglect and we figure God's just too busy with that part of our life. I think we would be better served if we would slow down and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Now, I know don't, don't miss work because God told me to stay home from work and play, pretend like I'm sick and I'm not. And that's not what I'm talking about. But with your free time, would you be willing to say, God, how would you have me serve you today? Or is our life so focused on what I have to do? Well, I like to do this. This is my hobby and I'm going to do it. I don't have time for God. I think David understood completely. He says the man raised up on high. And look at the next way he describes himself. The anointed of the God of Jacob. David recognized his anointing came from God. Literally, David says, I was anointed by God. David didn't anoint himself as king. Do you know that? He didn't decide one day, I want to be king, and I'm going to figure out a way, and I'm going to... Remember when we studied Absalom, how Absalom had this intricate plan on how he was going to overthrow David as king, and he sat at the city gates, and he told everybody, you know, as they came to hear the judge, you know, can David judge us? No, David's busy, but if I were the king, then I would hear your case, and he had all this plan. He was anointing himself king. David said, the Lord's anointed me king. I'm anointed of the God of Jacob. God's the one that's doing that in my life. He didn't anoint himself as king. He didn't accept an anointing by man. It wasn't because a group of people got together and said, David, you'd make a really good king. You'd make a good king. That's why you're going to be king. Think about those two principles. The place that you are in your life, have you got there by God? Has God called you? Can, can you say that my career, your career, this is where I'm supposed to be serving God? This is, now, maybe you're there and you, and you didn't, weren't even a believer when you got there, but you know that you're supposed to be there now. I'm here because God has put me there. I, I'm not here because, well, I was just the best man for the job. I'm not, do you think a shepherd boy would have been the best man for the job as king? Not according to man, according to God he was. And he's the greatest king ever, in the, in the, perhaps in the world, but certainly in the nation Israel's history. Greatest king ever. They're still talking about him, King David. And he's still legendary. We're still reading about him. He didn't anoint himself king. And he didn't allow other people to put him as king. Instead, he stood up. He said, he told, what did he tell his men? Don't you touch Saul. I won't be king when God makes me king. Nobody else. This is a really cool thing. And he says this. And he also identifies himself in the fourth way. He says, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the son of Jesse, the man raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. And he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a musician. He wrote music. He played music. He wrote, us the, wrote a large part of the Psalms. He recognized his gift, and he used it to bless God's people. Matter of fact, if you've ever been blessed by reading one of the Psalms, you are blessed by David's gift. You're blessed because God has given him the gift to write, the word, put the words in his mouth. He recorded them. Now we get to go back and read many of the Psalms that, that, are, that were from him. I don't know about you, but I love reading the Psalms. What a blessing as we study them and we read them. I'm blessed by them. You can be blessed by them. Now, if it was important for David to use his gifts and talents to bless the people, wouldn't that be important for us as well? Do we use our gifts and talents to bless the people of God? Do we, use, do we, do we consider the fact that God's given all of us some sort of gift or talent? We've all got something we can do for the Lord. Do we use that to bless the people of God? Not, maybe not even in church. Maybe it's in the larger body of, the Christ, a body of Christ. Maybe it's not just this fellowship. It's a large body of Christ. There is only one body of Christ. We understand that, right? You're either in the body of Christ or you're out of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter where you attend church. There's one. You're either saved or you're unsaved. You're saved and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ or you're not. 
Now, we may all choose to worship in, in here or even in different churches or different places. Doesn't, that, that doesn't affect salvation. But what I think is important is he used these gifts and talents. And if you're with me and you go, yeah, I am blessed by the Psalms. They're still blessing people. Now, maybe we don't have that kind of gift that David had. But are we willing to even use our gift to bless the Lord? You say, Rob, what does that look like? Well, let's just say that you're a business guy. And you, and you go, well, Rob, I'm not really a teacher. I can't really get in front of people and talk. And, you know, I, don't, I really can't play. I can't sing. You know, you don't want me up there in a worship team. And, you know, but, but, I, but I'm pretty good at, at finances and administration. Do you know that you can use that kind of stuff for the Lord? Do you know most pastors are terrible administrators? And we're certainly not good accountants. We need help like that with that kind of stuff. You say, well, Rob, well, I'm not really an administrator. You know, I'm, I, just, I just like talking to people. Do you know what a blessing that is to the, to the body of Christ? If you just pick up the phone and call people. I just like to encourage people. I'm, I just really like to tell people they can do it. What a blessing of encouragement. Just what, what, what an incredible ministry. You know, I could only hope and pray that is, is our legacy going to leave behind that thing that says this is what he did. This is what she did with the ability that God gave her or gave him. I hope that we would consider that, God, what, what gifts and talents are defining who I am? What is it that you've given me? I hope that would be our thought. And, and are, am I using them to bless God's people? You know, David very clearly identifies himself with these four things. And in verses 2 and 3, he tells us that the Lord spoke to him and the Lord spoke through him. Look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. This tells us that David was aware of the inspiration of God upon his life. He knew that God was speaking to him, and he knew that as he wrote this stuff in Psalms, that God was speaking through him. You know, the Lord has to speak to you if he's going to speak through you. You have to receive before you can give out. I have to study, I have to spend time in the scriptures and the word, receive from God before I can give it out to you guys. If I were to come up here and open my Bible without spending any time studying, I'd probably read these seven verses and go, all right, let's look at verse 8. I don't know that I have much to say about them. But as I sit and I study and I read and I, I look up words and what they mean and what, what other commentators might say about it and things like that, I, I, come to, I put it all together and, Lord, what do you want me to share tonight? What do you want me to share to your people? What do they need to hear? What is it that they've, they've what, what's lacking in their life? You know, if I want God to speak through me, I have to let him speak to me first. I have to be willing to do what he says. Now, the last part of verse 3, David addresses leadership and those people who rule over men. He's going to address leadership or, or kings or rulers. And if you're a leader, if you're a supervisor, if you're anybody who oversees the works of other people, it would be a good idea to pay attention at this point. You say, well, that, none of those things, have, they don't apply to me. Well, dads, you overrule, you know, fathers. You have people that you oversee. You have families that you, you look over. Moms, you have children. Bosses, maybe you have employees. Pastors, ministry, volunteers. You know, generally, we're probably going to find that all of us oversee somebody somewhere at some point. It's some time in our life. But if you're into leadership and studying how what, you know, biblical leadership, this is a great passage of scripture. Look what he says at the last half of verse 3. He who rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing forth out of the earth by clear shining after rain. David tells us two important things about leaders, about leadership. He says these two things are really, really important. Write them down, as he would say. 
He who rules over men must be what? Just. They must be just. Am, am I just a leader or am I going to be a just leader? Number two, he says they should rule by the fear of God. They should be ruling by the fear of God. Dads, do you lead your family by the fear of God? Husbands, do you lead your wives by the fear of God? Bosses, do you lead your businesses, your companies, your employees by the fear of God? Now let's back up just a second and see what it means to be just. Because he says that we should, he that rules over men should be just. That means righteous. It means fair. It means righteous. It means fair. It means doing what's right. But here's what you have to ask. According to whose standard? You see, doing what's right in the business world may not be what's right in God's economy, would it? Doing what's right in the company's policies and procedures might not be what's right in God's economy. You see, because everything other than God has another interest, another focus. They're focused, a business is focused on what? Making money, the bottom line, right? There's always another focus. When it comes to God's economy, do you know what the focus of his economy is? It's you. It's the people. That's the focus of his economy. That's, when, that, that's his focus is the people. That's, his, that's, that's what he's saying. So when, he, you know, when, when it says you must be just, it's not the standard there is you must be right before God. You must be, literally be right. And since the Bible tells us that God is righteous and God is just, it means that if you're leading, you should be God-like. You should be God-like. You should, you should ask yourself this. Well, what, what, what do I think God would do in this situation? What's the right thing to do? Maybe you would phrase it that way. How, how would God handle my children that are misbehaving? How would God handle this employee that's continually coming late? How would God handle, is it, is it time to, 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 to judge and to, 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 put, to put, put your foot down and, and let them know there's consequences for their action? Or is it time to show grace? You know, we know the Lord's long-suffering. You know, we, we're told that. But how would God handle this situation? Since God's righteous and it's telling us we should be like God, look what the number two, David said, is we should rule in the fear of God. Ruling in the fear of God, what does that mean? That means worrying more about what God thinks than what man thinks. Can you imagine what our country would look like if our politicians made decisions with the fear of God in their heart? Think about that. Can you imagine the decisions that would come out of Washington if they were really saying, what would God do? You know, the old what would Jesus do thing? If that was really the focus of their heart, who are they trying to please? The voters, the people, those that are contributing to their campaign, the money, they're trying to, you know, ultimately, who are they, going, who are they pleasing? Themselves, because they're, they're benefiting from it? What would it be like if the decisions in your family were made based on the principle of the fear of God? wanting to be right before God. What would it be like? Because we all know what it's like to have kids that say, well, mom, everybody else is doing it. Yeah, but we're ruling in the family on the fear of God. That's our standard. That's where we're looking for. We're going to say what God, what would it be like if you did that in your own life? I'm not doing this because there's fear of God in my life. I'm not doing this because I, God's going to see me do it. You see, so often we, 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 just, we just put him out of the picture. Like he can't see our bad choices. Like he just overlooks them. You see, David's making it really clear. If you're ruling over men, you should be doing so in the fear of God. You should be doing so justly. Aren't we all ruling over ourselves? Aren't you? 
I mean, if you, you go, Rob, I'm not ruling over anybody. I don't supervise anybody. I don't even, I live in the woods by myself. I don't even see anybody. Bare minimum, you're ruling over yourself. You get to decide what you do tomorrow, don't you? Will you do that with the fear of God in mind? Will you do that with righteousness in mind? You see, God tells us that not so that he could get some kind of credit because honestly, he knows that's what's best for us. That'll benefit us. That'll benefit, it'll be a blessing to you if you come underneath of what God's word says. It's not going to be a curse. It's not going to be a hindrance. It's not going to be worse for you. Oh, it might seem worse initially. You might be forced to make a hard decision and stand on what's right. And you might even be considered an outcast for doing it. But in eternity, it's going to be a blessing for you. Even in the short term, it'll probably end up to be a blessing. Because you'll have a good name among people. People will know that you're just. They will know that you're righteous. They will know that you're fearing God, not worried about what mankind will say. When a leader rules the way God suggests, when, a leader, when, when you do this, this is what it's like. Look at verse 4. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. In other words, when you do this, your life is going to look like a bright morning sunrise. You ever watch the sun come up? How beautiful is sunrise? Not a cloud in the sky, here comes the sun. Here it comes up out of the sky. I mean, out of, off, off the horizon. Here it comes, how beautiful, how bright, how shining, how warm it is. That's what your life will look like if you'll do these things. And you'll also be like, he, what does he say? Like the tender grass, a fresh field springing out of the earth. By, it's shining, the dew, the rain is glistening on it. Now, you say, David, you're telling us this. But I want you to look at David's honesty in verse 5. Although my house is not so with God. David recognizes his failures. He recognizes his mistakes. He recognizes that his reign has not always measured up to these standards at all times. But he also follows that with recognizing God's promises. David says, you know what, I understand that as a ruler, that's how my life should be. I should be ruling in the fear of God. I should be ruling justly. But I haven't always done that. But then he quickly turns to God's promise and says, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. He, or will he not make it increase? He says, I haven't always lived like that. I haven't always ruled like that. I've made mistakes. But God has made a covenant with me, David says. What covenant is he talking about? It's known commonly as the Davidic covenant. It's the one in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And what the covenant he's talking about is the covenant that, that God told David that the Messiah would come through his line, through his lineage. The Messiah is going to be coming out of your family, David. And David is saying that he's never, he never sees that before he dies. He doesn't know that, but he's trusting in God's promise. He never saw God's promise come to fruition in his lifetime, but yet he trusted it. You see, so often we look at God's promise and go, God, it's not happening this week. You told me this, it's, it's, you know, it's not, I don't like what's happening in my life. David never saw this promise come true, but yet at the end of his life, he's declaring God's faithfulness to his promise. Wow, that's pretty cool. The Messiah is going to come through the line of David. Notice his focus. He's focusing not on his failure, although he's right in mentioning it. He's focusing on God's promises. How many times as Christians do we find our life focused on our failures rather than God's promises? Too often we're focused on what we do wrong than what God has promised us. 
You see, the things that we've done wrong, we're forgiven for if we're in Christ. The promises, they may not come true today, but they're going to come true. If you'd spend as much time on his promises as you do trying to get over what you've done wrong, I wonder what impact it would have on our life. Not that David excuses his failures because he doesn't. He makes it very clear and he points them out. But his focus is on the promises of God. His, his covenant. He says, you have made with me an everlasting covenant. What promises do you hold dear to your heart from the Lord? Has God promised you something? Do you have scriptures that are promises that you've found in the word? That's a promise from God to me. That's something that God holds dear to. That's, I hold it dear to my heart. I'm just going to give you one of mine real quickly. At the end of the book of Colossians, uh, Paul's closing out the book to the church and the letter to the church in Colossae. And he says this, he says, tell Archippus to take heed to the ministry which he has received and fulfill it. Tell Archippus to take heed to the ministry which he has received and fulfill it. That's the very scripture that God gave me when I was up here in 2006 praying and fasting about starting a church. Take heed to the ministry which you have received and fulfill it. And it told me, Rob, all I have to do is walk in obedience. The ministry is already done. I don't have to conjure it up. I don't have to make it happen. I had no, I had no idea what it was going to look like. I didn't know we were going to end up with a radio station. That wasn't my plan. That's not in any of the church planning books, buy a radio station. It, it, it's, just, it's just what God did. That was a promise that God gave to me. And when I was here early in the early years, and there was for the first year, we didn't even have a Bible study. Lord, why am I here? I'm here to fulfill the ministry. Take heed to the ministry which you've received and fulfill it. I, don't even, I didn't even know what that looked like, but I held on to that promise, and I knew that in my time of prayer, in my time of fasting, God had given me that directly out of his word because I asked him for it. Lord, I don't, I'm not moving my family on a feeling, not moving my family on a hunch. Not moving my, I need something from you to let me know. I need something to hold on to when things aren't going good or when it's not going the way I expect, and that's what he gave me. Do you have those promises in your life out of God's word? If not, you need to go get them. You can't have mine. You gotta get your own. You gotta go find your own. That's time between you and the Lord. That's time where you go to the Lord. Lord, I need this from you. And you study and you read. I would encourage you that if you're ever in a difficult situation, I've done this before. God, I'm not leaving this place until I hear from you. And I will sit here and sit here and sit here and sit here as long as I need to till I hear from you and be willing to stay a couple of days if necessary. I've done that before. It's taken several days sometimes. I need to hear from you. You see, but too often we do what? Eh, I tried that thing. I didn't hear from God, so I just left. You need the promises of God in your life. You need that. David is here. He says, you, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. He's ordered in all things and secure. He's talking about this Davidic covenant. Now, don't we have a covenant given to us by God? Do you have a covenant given to you by God? Do you realize that God has made a covenant with us? There's a new covenant that he talked about, remember? There's a new covenant. I'm going to just give you one that's easy. John 3, 16 is a covenant given to you by God. Do you know what that verse says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Do you realize that's a promise from God? It's a covenant of God made to you or to anybody that would believe in him that you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. David never saw that come to, never saw his covenant come to fruition. But you know what the cool thing is? We do. So when we look back at David's covenant, because it, when this was written, it hadn't come to fruition yet. We look back and go, wow, David's covenant came to fruition. Our covenant will come to fruition too. All the promises of God throughout the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
They're all, it all, it's all coming there. You know, it's, it's amazing. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what happens if I didn't believe that? What happens if I came against that? Look at the next verse, verse 6. But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and a shaft of spear. They shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Just like the covenant with David, just like with David's covenant, it's not based on God's faithfulness. I mean, it's not based on man's faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness. And here, what we see happening is there will be people who, who are going to come against that covenant. There will be people, people who come against you. But don't worry about that. What this really tells us is obedience matters. What it really tells us is the covenants here that we study in Scripture, just like David's, they're not based on your faithfulness. You see, that verse, John 3, 16, doesn't say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish as long as they don't and list out a bunch of things. As long as they don't do this, as long as they do that, as long as they do, it doesn't, it doesn't because all of those would be based on what? Based on us, based on your ability, your works, what you do, what you don't do, whatever that list would be. You see, the covenants that God places in our hearts for us, they're based on his faithfulness and not ours. That's good because he'll remain faithful when we're faithless. He will remain faithful to you and to I, even when our faith is little. Now, let's look at David's mighty men. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Beshebeth, the Tachamite, chief among the captains. He was called a Dino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dudu, the, no laughing, Ahoyahite, one of the three mighty men of David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, he arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to the plunder. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. David's mighty men. We just got introduced to three of them. David's mighty men made them who he was. Could David have been the king that he was without the men underneath of him? No, he couldn't have been. But he also made the mighty men who they were. It was, it was a two-way street. Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says this in verses 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they all went down there to him. And look at verse 2 in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. So David is on the run from King Saul. He goes to the cave of Abdullam near En Gedi. And these men, 400 of them, come to them. And look how they're described. Those that are discontented, those that are distressed, and those that are broke. That's not how you want to start your army. That's not, what you, that's not the 400 men that you would pick to start your army with. These guys are broken. They're discontented. They're not happy with anything. They've, they're in debt. And here they're come to David. 
wait a minute, these are the same guys that became the mighty men. You see, David poured into these men's life. We read in, in the Psalms, he taught them the fear of God. He poured into them, he taught them, he trained them. He showed them everything that he did. He, he spent time with them, encouraging them, lifting up. And these men who were distressed, discontented, and broke became now who the Bible calls the mighty men of David. They weren't mighty men when they started out. They, they weren't mighty men at all. They started this distressed and broke. Now, Alan Redpath said this. He said, the triumph of the church as a whole depends upon the personal victory of every Christian. In other words, your victory, your life, your personal testimony are important to the cause of God today. What happens out in New Guinea, down in the Amazon jungle, over in the disturbed Congo is unrelated to what happens in your own personal relationship with God and your personal battle against the forces of darkness. Victory for the church on the whole world front depends upon victory in your life and mine. Home and foreign situations cannot be detached. In other words, what's, in, what's happening in your life is important. What the victory that you have in your life is something that we need to understand. These men started out distressed, discontented, broke. They were, they, they were nobody wanted them. But David taught them the fear of the Lord, the psalm tells us. He taught them the fear of God. He poured into them, and they became these mighty men. And we need to understand that we have that same opportunity. We have the same opportunity. We can become distressed. We can be discontented. We can be miserable, unforgiving, unhappy people. We can be that way because of the situation that they got that way by the situations in their life. And they find themselves on the run. They don't know where to go. No family, no friends. They hook up with David, and David begins teaching them about the Lord. And these men became the mighty men. David taught his men about the Lord, and they began to change. And the same thing can happen to you and to I. They weren't mighty men when they started. When you came to the Lord, chances are you weren't a mighty man or a mighty woman for God. You were broken, worn out, distressed, discontented, broke, wherever, whatever other situation brought you there. But the beauty is God's going to do something if you'll let him. God's going to change you. God's going to work in your heart. He's going to raise you up. He's going to make you a mighty man or a mighty woman that he can use in ministry. And all those things that got you in that situation, he'll use all those to minister to other people if you'll let him. But I have to be willing to let him. How do I let him? How do I do that, Rob? I want that to happen. Just conform to the word of God. Just be just. Make, live your life in fear of God. How, how would God want me to handle this situation? You see, sometimes we can hear God's word and go, oh, I'm not doing that. No, no. If you want to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, you have to do what? Obey it. God's faithful to his word. He is. The problem is, will we be faithful to it? Will I do? Will you do? Will you walk in obedience to God's word knowing it will be better for you? I will to the best of my ability. But sometimes that's painful, isn't it? Sometimes that makes us deal with things in the past that we don't want to deal with. Sometimes that makes us deal with you know, situations that, that are hard to deal with. Sometimes it puts us in embarrassing situations where we have to humble ourselves. But trust me, God's word is always right. He's faithful in it. So we met these three guys. We met Adino. He killed 800 men. Interestingly, Chronicles tells us he killed 300 men. Either way, people get stuck in that. Well, you know, here in, in 2 Samuel it says 800 and Chronicles says 300. See, the Bible must be wrong. I don't care if it's 300 or 800. It's a lot of people. It's a victory given to him by the Lord. We don't need to argue about that. We met Eleazar continued to fight the Philistines even after Israel retreated. In other words, he's fighting, he's doing battle with the enemy. Everybody else ran away and he stayed. And he fought until his hand was stuck 
around his sword. He didn't give up. How long will you fight? How long in your life will you fight against the enemy? Will you retreat or will you stand and fight? Shema defended a patch of lentils, we read. That's food. It's a patch of lentils where they're growing lentil, bean, lentil beans. It's food there. They're there to eat. He, depend, he defended it. The food was for Israel. He was willing to stand and not flee. He was willing to continue in the fight. And you know what happens when you continue in the fight? God strengthens you. God meets you right there. As you stand and fight against the enemy, you might be the only one, as these guys were, Yet they were victorious. Why? Because they were mighty men? No, because they were, they were faithful. They were faithful men who stood and God met them right there. God met them right there and they got they victory. I wonder how often we fled in our battles. Where if we would have just hung on a little bit longer, God would have brought us the victory. I wonder how often we've given up on something. Yeah, I tried that. Didn't work for me. I wonder how often we've gone to the word and said, Lord, I need to hear from you. And if we just waited just another few minutes... We would have got the answer that we needed. You see, I'm here to encourage you tonight. Don't give up. Don't flee. Fight. Stand. Keep seeking. Keep going after the Lord. He wants to reveal his will to you. Not for one moment do you need to believe that God doesn't want to tell you why he created you or what your purpose is in life. It's not like he's in heaven going, I'm not telling you. You can ask all you want, but I'm not going to tell you. It's just the opposite. He's, going, he's, going, he's up in heaven going, you're not ready yet. I can't tell you. If I told you what I really created you for and what, I, what you're going to be doing, I can't tell you. If you'd have told me bef long before I ever got here that I was going to be a pastor, I'd have thought you were on drugs or something like that. I'd have thought you were just weird, you know. You're, no, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm in law enforcement. I've, I'm a detective. I got, my, I got my whole career path. I know. I got it mapped out. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. That's my plan. You must be crazy. But you see, your life is just like that. You know, will you go seek? Verse 13, then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephraim. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Adullam was where he was. He spent time when he was fleeing from Saul. And basically what's taking place is he's thinking about, there's this well outside of Bethlehem. When I was a kid, I used to really like the water from the well. Oh, if I could only have a drink. In verse 16, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. They took it and they brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. He said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So here's David remembering at the cave of Adullam. You know, he's out in the wilderness, out in the desert. Oh, if I could only have a glass of water from that well. And these three men, they bust through the camp of the Philistines. They go and they get them the water from the well. They bring it back to him. And David goes, wow, these guys risked their lives for it. I can't drink this. We need to sacrifice this to the Lord. And he poured it out as a drink offering to God. He poured out, he goes, this isn't, I mean, he's thankful of it, but he realizes this is something that they did. They didn't, he didn't give them a command or even make a request. They took this upon themselves. And now David was so honored by the self-sacrifice of these mighty men that he felt the water was too good for him and worthy, it's worthy to be poured out to the Lord. He believed that the great sacrifice of these men could only be honored by giving it to God, not by keeping it for himself. Now, verse 18, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, 
uh, the chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. He was not the most honored of the three. Therefore, he, came, he became their, or he was the most, he was not the most honored of the three. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Abishai was famous for killing these 300 men. And then in verse 20, we read Benaniah, and I'm not going to read it all for you. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. He's known for killing two heroes of Moab. They were like a lion. He's known for going down into a pit and killing a lion. He's known for killing an Egyptian after wrestling a spear away from him. The remaining verses of the chapter, verses 24 all the way down to 38, list David's great men by name. These remarkable men were the foundation of David's greatness, of his reign. They were the people that came around him. They were the ones that, 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 that stood by him. Whether he was in the wilderness or whether he was on the throne in Israel, in Jerusalem, they were the ones with them. And here's what I want you to take away from tonight's study. They didn't come to David as great men. They didn't come to David as great men. No different than we come to the Lord as great men or women. We don't come that way. They didn't come that way. But God used David and his leadership to transform these men. He used them in, in his life. These men were distressed, in debt, and discontented, and God changed all that, and they became known, recorded throughout all of history as mighty men. How are you going to be recorded when you pass? How are you going to be known? Are you going to be known as a mighty man or a mighty woman of God? Or are you going to be known as discontented, as broke, distressed, miserable, unhappy, how is it that you're going to be remembered when you're gone? I think it's absolutely amazing the Bible records for us who they were and who they became. And I think it's so the Lord would say to us tonight, who you are is not who you have to be. Who we are is not who we, we there, there's an opportunity to become that mighty man or that mighty woman for God. It doesn't happen overnight. It comes, how do I do it, Rob? I'm in. Just conform to the word of God. When God says, don't do this, don't do it. When God says, I need you to do this, when you come across it in Scripture, you hear it in a message, you're listening to the radio, and God, and you hear that thing, and you just know it's for you. The question is, will you obey it? Or will you just take it as a good suggestion that you file away in your suggestions folder in the back of your mind? You see, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience to God's Word is where we're going to change. God's Word is what will change you. Not my message, God's Word. When you read this, maybe tonight you go, yeah, I'm, over, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a, I'm a boss, and I read. I need to rule in the fear of God. I'm not doing that in my life. Change that tonight. That's your opportunity. That's what we can do. Every time we come before the Lord, we have an opportunity to change and reestablish who we are. And the great thing is it doesn't matter how many times we've messed up because the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy is always available to us. Where we get stuck is when we wallow in our failures. These men of David... Although they were discontented, they didn't stay discontented. Although they were distressed, they didn't stay distressed. Although they were broke, they didn't stay broke. Instead, what did they do? They learned, they grew, and they fought. They hung in the battle. They continued to fight. They didn't give up. They didn't just throw in the towel and go, ah, that's just that sin that I struggle with. I'm just, gonna, eh, I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. I just got, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. Stand and fight against it. If you fall, get the grace and the mercy and get back up and keep fighting. You see, that's what made them great. How will you be known? If you were to go right now, tonight, was your last night here, how would you be known? Would you be happy with it? Is that the way that you want to be known? Or was there something you'd want to change about it? You see, 
Don't ever change because I say something. Change because the word of God says something to you. Change because God's put something in your heart. Now before we close, I want to take just a few minutes. And as always, I want you to go to the Lord quietly in prayer. I think these last few minutes that we take at the close of Bible study are important. Maybe you have to finish writing a few notes. Maybe you just need to go before the Lord and go, Lord, man, that's me. I haven't been living my life in fear of you. I've been living my life, you know, walking on grace, never even considering the fact that I'm being disobedient. I, I, maybe that's you. Maybe you need to change. Maybe you go, I, I'm, I haven't been doing right by my employees. I'm not, that's not me. I haven't been ruling justly over them. I haven't been leading them justly. I'm not a just leader. I'm just a leader. I'm just a leader. I'm not, I'm not leading justly. You know, whatever it is, wherever you are, I can tell you the Lord wants to meet with you tonight and he wants to speak to your heart. So we're going to take about two or three minutes and we're going to pray quietly. It's, this is quiet time between you and the Lord. And you just go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you examine my heart? Would you show me? Would you meet with me? Would you tell me those things in my life? Would you encourage me, the things that I'm doing good? And would you also point out those changes that need to be made? You see, the Holy Spirit has put in the world to testify of Christ and to convict the world of sin. And I can assure you he is doing his job. The question is, will we conform to the word of God? Father, may we be people who take your word seriously. May we not take it lightly. May we take conviction from the Holy Spirit seriously, Lord. May we understand your grace and your mercy, but we also, Lord, we need to live a life in fear of you, not as a scared and trembling, but as a holy and a reverent fear. Knowing that the decisions that we make matter. Knowing the lives we live matter. Knowing the choices today and tomorrow, tonight, next week, Make a difference for eternity. Lord, may it be everyone's heart here to be a servant of the King. Knowing and realizing that we were created by you for a purpose. And may we make it our life's mission to fulfill that purpose. So that one day at the end of our life, we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I don't want to hear the words, why didn't you? How come? Instead, I want to finish the race strong. And I want to hear, well done. So Lord, if there's anything in our life that's preventing that, would you just minister and point it out to us now? Speak to our heart quietly. May we have the boldness to obey. Go before the Lord quietly now. Just take a few minutes and seek him on your own.